This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Good morning, everyone. So we're going to take a break this morning from our ongoing fall sermon series on Psalms. It'll be back next Sunday. And here on our fall kickoff Sunday instead, I'd like to take some time to talk to you about a topic I've been reflecting on for the last several months. It's the topic of pain. Right now I can see you're all super excited because that's everybody's favorite topic. But I've been reflecting on the reality that pain is an unavoidable part of the human experience. Everybody knows pain. So some pain in our lives, right, comes directly as a consequence of some of our own actions. But at other times, pain hits us as a complete surprise. It can actually shock the system. And when, when pain hits you like that, it has with it this sense of being really, really unfair. It can have a sense of being unjust. Pain comes in all kinds of different forms. I know there's people in this room that have suffered incredible pain in their lives. A chronic or debilitating illness, the loss of a loved person way too early, the breakdown of a significant relationship in your life, a vicious attack from another human being, the loss of your reputation. But even if you haven't experienced pain like that in your life, you still know pain, right? And it does very little good. You can't find much comfort in trying to compare your pain to somebody who's got it worse. It doesn't bring a lot of relief because all pain is, in fact, painful. It hurts in different forms. So how do we as Christians think about pain? Because if you've been a Christian for more than, say, I don't know, a week, you've figured out that your faith in Jesus is not an escape from pain in this life, right? In fact, as Christians, there's forms of pain that we'll experience particularly because of our faith in Jesus. But the Bible, in fact, has a narrative of pain that travels through the entirety of Scripture. It begins right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, and the fall in the garden, where the Lord says that one of the results of Adam and Eve's sin is, in fact, pain. You'll remember what he says to Eve. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And then he turns to Adam and says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So because of the fall, pain has become a regular part of the human experience. Christians sometimes refer to this life as a veil of tears, full of suffering, full of pain. So let's quickly fast forward to the end of the biblical narrative on pain. Now we're in Revelation 21, where the Apostle John gives us this image of when the Lord has completed his work of redemption. Jesus on the throne, all of his saints gathered to him, and John says, God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have come to pass. So as Christians, we await the eternal promise of relief from all our sorrow, from all our pain. But what does that mean for our lives now and the pain we experience now? Because it doesn't seem that we can avoid it. So are you supposed to simply just endure it and get through it until it's over? Or is there perhaps something that we can learn from our pain? Can we actually find purpose in our pain? Uh, Usually our sermons here at Resurrection do a deep dive into one particular passage of Scripture, and that's how it should be most of the time. But this morning I I do want to do something just a little different. I want to take you on a bit of the journey I've been on exploring this reality of pain. And I want to do so by providing three testimonies on pain. First, I want to give you a medical testimony of pain. And then second, and most importantly, I want to talk about a scriptural testimony of pain. And then lastly, I want to give you a brief personal testimony on pain. And I hope that each of these testimonies of pain speak to the gospel truth that we can do more than just endure the pain of this life. The gospel truth is that though the enemy may have intended our pain in this life for evil, in Jesus, our pain can become a profound pathway towards goodness and transformation in our lives. In Jesus, our pain indeed can have a purpose. So let's look at these three testimonies of pain this morning, and we'll start with a medical testimony. So it was the spring of 1999, and I was on a tour with the Wheaton College Men's Glee Club. Old man in the room. There we go. And we were in Seattle. And every night after our concerts at various churches, they would set us up randomly with a host family, and a couple of us would go to their ho- this, these people's homes and, uh, and stay there for the night. And I was uh, randomly assigned with Dr. Paul and his wife, Margaret Brand. I didn't know who they were, but I soon found out that Dr. Brand was a rather famous missionary doctor. And so I was treated, along with the guy I was staying with that night, to story after amazing story of the Brand's lives and their their missionary experiences. So Paul Brand was born in 1914 in the remote hills of rural India to two English-born missionary parents. And after his childhood, he was back in England and he earned his medical degree back there and was soon stationed in London during the bombings of World War II. So Dr. Brand shared amazing stories of the profound pain and suffering and heroism he he, uh, witnessed uh, during the Second World War. Later, Dr. Brand responded to a call to return to the mission field back to India, where he really found his life's work, where he led a clinic and particularly um, spent a lot of time serving patients who dealt with the disease of leprosy. After a long season in India, he finished his career in the U.S. where he influenced Western medicine through everything that he learned uh, through his experience with the disease of leprosy. 
So at the end of my stay with the Brands, Dr. Brand gave me a signed copy of the book he'd written in which he tells the story of his life through the theme of pain. I think we have a, a picture of this book. The title of it is The Gift of Pain. And the book deals mostly with the reality of physical pain. But I found it just dripping with all these corollary, profound statements that we could connect to the experience we have in our lives of emotional pain, of spiritual pain. So I do just want to warn you, if you do choose to read this book, which I would highly recommend, it's really, really good, um, Moments will give you the eebie-jeebies. I, uh, there's just some medical stories in there. I was sitting in the coffee shop, and I sort of would twitch every once in a while um, when I read some of these stories. So one of the primary effects of leprosy is nerve damage that eliminates almost any feeling or sensation. So in other words, someone who suffers from leprosy, they actually cannot feel pain. And as Dr. Brand soon found out that there are horrific consequences that accompany the inability to sense pain. So he developed over the course of his career a great reverence for the way that God intended our bodies to work with pain so that pain can protect us and teach us by what it's saying. He saw many patients, many leprosy patients, who had lost fingers, who had lost toes, who had even lost portions of their nose. People used to think that this was another um, effect of leprosy. They used to call it rotting disease, and they believed that le leprosy literally wore away parts of your body from the inside out. But Dr. Bran uh, was instrumental in proving that all these effects could also be traced back to the reality of painlessness. That people who can't feel pain, they don't receive any of the natural warning signs that they're about to cause damage to their body. So think about when you're at home and there's a jar you haven't opened yet, and you start turning it as hard as you can, and all of a sudden your hand stings, and so you pull away and you stop, and then you hand it to your roommate or your spouse to see if they can open the jar. But over the course of a lifetime, without these warning signs, a person can do incredible damage to their body. They can literally start breaking it off piece by piece. So in contrast, Dr. Brand would say that the pain-sensitive person, that's most of us, quote, no matter how much he wants to do something, will stop for pain because deep in his psyche, he knows that preserving his own self is more significant than anything he might want to do. So I could go off on a, a whole corollary tangent here about how sometimes we're tempted to numb pain in our lives, forms of pain that are actually meant to protect us from causing greater damage to ourselves. Dr. Brand, in fact, has a pretty significant critique for more affluent cultures, which often lose their respect for pain and the messages that they're trying to convey. So please indulge uh, one longer quote. I think it's just full of good stuff. Quote, pain truly is the gift nobody wants. People who already own this gift rarely value it. Usually, they resent it. On my travels, I have observed an ironic law of reversal at work. As a society gains the ability to limit suffering, 
It loses the ability to cope with what suffering remains. It's the philosophers, theologians, and writers of the affluent West, not the third world, who worry obsessively about the problem of pain and point the accusing finger at God. Once regarded as an enemy and not a warning signal, pain loses its power to instruct. So Dr. Brand also noted the way pain could seem to amplify in his patients when there was also what he called an additional pain intensifier, things like fear, anger, guilt, loneliness, helplessness. And he stressed to the doctors and medical professionals that he worked with how crucial it was to first address these pain intensifiers directly, which he learned over the course of his career could do a lot more and be much more effective at providing overall relief than any drug that he could prescribe. So, can we not see some of the corollaries here to our own relationship with pain? The sense of anger and injustice we can feel when pain hits. The way it can sometimes amplify to the point where it feels like the pain is going to completely overwhelm every aspect of our lives. So how do we have a healthier relationship with pain in our lives? How do we grow in our ability for it not to overwhelm us? Well, Dr. Brand would say that we need to start listening to pain. That pain has a purpose, and it's trying to tell us something. So I'm going to just use that as a segue to jump into a scriptural testimony of pain. So I want to invite you now to turn to our gospel reading from this morning, John chapter 15. I think you can find it if you're using the Pew Bibles. I think it begins on page 901. So here Jesus gives us the context for pain in our lives through this image of the Father pruning the branches of a vine. But before we get into the pruning image, I want you to first just jump down to, to verse 5. Because here we notice the relationship between the vine and the branches. Uh, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So in order for us, the branches, to be fruitful, we need to remain connected to the source, to Jesus, the true vine. So this is an image here of our union with Jesus. Father Matt had an awesome devotional he gave to our staff just this past week on the gift we have of union with Jesus. And I wrote down I, something he said um, in my journal. He said, we're not just forgiven, we're not just adopted, we are united with Jesus. And we need to practice loving union with him. It needs to be nourished. And that's the image here that Jesus is giving in John 15. We're nourished as we abide with Jesus. We abide in Jesus, the true vine. And yet, even as we abide and we are nourished, pain is not entirely removed, is it? So now look back up at verse 1. 
Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may produce more fruit. So as you abide in Jesus, the Father continues to prune you. I mean, pruning, that image, that's, that, pruning involves pain. Pruning is being cut back. The initial effect of a branch that's been pruned isn't a pretty one. Those branches look like they're in worse shape than they were previously before they were pruned. But notice which branches are pruned. Notice that it's the fruitful branches that the Father chooses to cut back. The unfruitful ones are cut away entirely. So even though there's already fruitfulness in these branches, the Father isn't satisfied. He's willing to prune us to produce even more fruit. And also notice that we're cut, but we're not cut away from the vine. And so eventually, we do go back, and that pruning produces even more fruitfulness in us. I would also note that pruning seems to be the normative process for the Christian, because Jesus says here that every branch that produces fruit, he prunes. In fact, the only alternative is that every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So we abide, we're pruned, and we grow to be more and more fruitful. And the alternative option we see, we see it down in verse 6. We stop abiding, so we stop growing, and we start dying. Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So as you abide in Jesus, you will, in fact, grow. But a significant part of that growth will come through the painful process of pruning by the Father. But his purpose in pruning is an even greater and more fruitful flourishing. So when you experience pain, the, the question you might be tempted to ask is, Lord, is this even fair? But it seems like the question the Lord is asking is, is there even more? Is there even more fruitfulness that I can get from this beautiful branch? Okay, so what does that fruit look like? Well, can you think of an older Christian, someone in the course of your walk as a follower of Jesus stands out to you? And what was it about that person that stood out? Was it just a sense of their Christian character? Was it a sense of just holiness on display in their life? Maybe, maybe even just a simple sense of peace or a profound, deep, abiding faith in the Lord. So no doubt that fruit was born through pruning. As they continued to abide in Jesus, season after season, the Father kept bringing forth a greater and a greater harvest. Verse 8 says that by this, 
the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. So the writer to the Hebrews uses a complementary metaphor that I want to talk about for just a second too. So if you turn to our other reading from this morning, Hebrews chapter 12, you can find it starting on page 1008 in your pew Bible. And here, the writer, to the letter, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews um, uses a complementary metaphor of discipline. There's a lot of good stuff in this passage, but I'll just pop up to verse 7, which says that God, in his discipline towards us, is treating us as sons, or sons and daughters. Verse 11, that his discipline is for our good that we might actually share in his holiness. So our union with Jesus, as we follow the same path of pain and suffering that he followed, the Father is disciplining us, and one of the gifts of our union with Jesus is actually becoming more and more like him, sharing in his holiness. Okay, and then comes verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So once again, we see pain producing fruit. And this time, what a lovely image. Who doesn't want more of this in their life? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. So as a Christian your life is not in the hands of an enemy who can use pain to destroy you. Your life is in the hands of a father who loves you. And through his discipline, he's inviting you to actually share in his own holiness. In our pain, we might cry out, is this even fair? But the Lord is always asking, is there even more? And so every painful experience can become, in fact, a prayer to the Lord. You can ask, Lord, what is the fruit that you are seeking to bring forth in me through this painful experience? So to that end, the last testimony I'd like to offer this morning is a personal testimony. Um, I've been on staff here at Church of the Resurrection for 18 years, and if I had to give a one-word description of those 18 years, I think a front-runner would be the word joy. Um, it has been a profound joy. It has been an honor to serve in the church these last 18 years, um, a particular honor to serve at such an amazing, beautiful church like Church of the Resurrection. I would say one of my strengths as a leader is fun and positivity. Um, if you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs assessment, I'm an ENFJ. And if I remember correctly, that stands for extrovert, nice guy, funny guy, jovial guy. I'm pretty sure I got that right. I'm a choir director at heart, and I love when life and ministry feels like directing a choir. When I get to bring people in together to do something exciting, something important, and experience the joy and the fun of doing that together. So then came the last three years of ministry. 
First, there was COVID. And then, on the heels of that, a lot of painful and challenging circumstances in our diocese. A one-word description for the last three years, the front-runner would probably not be joy. It might be something like painful. The pain of people suffering in various ways. The pain of uh, strong disagreement. The pain of relational strain. This season has required a bit more of me as a leader than just fun and positivity. Instead of inviting people into more joy, I often found myself trying to help name the pain and the suffering we are experiencing together. I found myself trying to make tough and sometimes controversial decisions during this season. And the truth is that in hard moments on the um, fight-to-flight scale, I'm not too much of a fight guy. I'd rather pray with the psalmist, oh, that I had the wings of a dove, that I could fly away and be at rest. So at the beginning of this season, I found myself consumed, sometimes overwhelmed by the pain. But slowly, through a lot of prayer, a lot of wise counsel, um, a lot of scripture, I began to ask the Lord a question. Lord, what are you trying to form in me through this season? What fruit are you yielding through this pruning? So I know there's a lot more work to be done. There's more pruning in this season, more pruning in seasons to come. But let me just offer a really brief testimony of what I've seen so far. I think the Lord has been growing in me the fruits of boldness and of self-differentiation. The Lord kept putting me in situations where it was literally my job to try to bring clarity and direction regarding difficult circumstances. And you know what? I kept saying to the Lord, Lord, that's not fun. But the Lord has helped me embrace that that's also part of my role as a pastor, as a leader. In fact, as a dad, as a husband, as a friend. And for me, I've learned that the call to be be bold is actually a call for greater humility in my life because it means placing less value, less concern around what others might think of me and more on speaking the truth in love. And I've learned that the more I can release worry about how someone might react to a decision I make or what I say, the more I find myself actually able to truly love and care about that person. And you know, how important is that reality as we offer the truth of the gospel to people who aren't yet following Jesus? Because it too requires boldness, it requires honesty. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to joy, it's an invitation to life, but it's, all an invi- it's also an invitation to come, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus into pain and into suffering. So I would uh, never have asked for the painful season I've walked through, but oh how much I needed the fruit that the Lord wanted to produce in me through the season of pruning. So as a church, uh, we could ask the question, is is it even fair that we've been through these last three years? But I think the Lord's asking, is there even more? Is there even more for Church of the Resurrection? There's been fruitful gospel ministry at this church for years, for decades. Praise the Lord. 
But is there even more that the Lord wants to do in and through us as a people coming out of this season of pruning? What can we learn? How can we continue to grow? What new fruit does the Father have in mind for Church of the Resurrection? Because the good news of the gospel is that through every painful season, every painful experience in your life, the Father intends to yield fruit. And you know what? The pain passes, but the fruit remains forever into eternity. By this, the Father is glorified, that we bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.